Hey, listener, this is Jimmy Pardo from the award-winning podcast, Never Not Funny. You are listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Turn up! Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, you can take Jen Kirkman out of Boston, but you can't quite take Boston out of Jen Kirkman. And I so desperately want Ben Affleck or Matt Damon to ask me to be in a movie. I'm so good with the with the Boston accent. We'll hear more from Jen in just a bit. Kind of a little different version of I Thought It Was Funny Today. More of a I Thought It Was Funny Interesting more than Funny Funny. Uh, you'll hear more about that soon as well. But first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. Jose Canseco was cleaning his gun when it went off Tuesday afternoon, nearly severing his finger, according to the Associated Press. The former Major League outfielder is undergoing surgery after the incident at University Medical Center of Southern Nevada. A spokesman for the NRA said in a statement that if Canseco had just had a gun in his other hand, he could have stopped himself from shooting himself. Because, you know, the only way to stop a bad Canseco with a gun is a, is a good Canseco with a gun. A U.S. federal judge on Tuesday ordered a controversial Arizona sheriff to undergo the same training as his deputies to prevent racial profiling and unlawful detention in the wake of the lawman's recent comments. U.S. District Court Judge Murray Snow criticized Sheriff Joe Arpaio during a hearing in Phoenix for telling a reporter he would have no problem conducting an immigration sweep like one performed in the town of Guadalupe in 2008, which was later declared unconstitutional. Arpaio plans to appeal the ruling as soon as he can find a good Jew lawyer. The theories of evolution and the Big Bang are real, and God is not a magician with a magic wand, Pope Francis has declared. The pontiff did not comment on the theory of de-evolution, but has said in the past that we are all Devo. Packaged goods giant Procter & Gamble is divesting itself of its Duracell battery division. Employees for the battery manufacturer greeted the news positively, saying that for the past few years they've just been shoved in a drawer somewhere at P&G headquarters anyway. Former Mistresses star Alyssa Milano took to Instagram on Tuesday to share an intimate moment between her and her new daughter, Elizabella. Milano41 posted a black-and-white photo of herself breastfeeding the almost eight-week-old baby. Milano captioned the photo, Ah, the joy of suckling. Some people were shocked, but these were mostly people who had never Googled images of Alyssa Milano. And finally, the Wash Skins, as late Pittsburgh sportscaster Myron Cope used to call them, and he'd also say, like, the Indy Colts and the Philly Eagles. Um, that's how they should solve the whole Washington Redskins problem, by the way. Is just, just call them what Myron Cope used to call them, the Wash Skins. The Wash Skins made yet another public relations gaffe last week. The Skins had just defeated their hated rivals, the Dallas Cowboys, and quarterback Colt McCoy, their backup, had achieved the greatest win of his life, and he was ready to talk to anyone and everyone. What John Sutcliffe of ESPN Deportes was trying to, actually, I pronounce that French, and it's supposed to be the Spanish one, but uh, was trying to wrangle an on camera interview with McCoy. Enter Todd Wiley, Redskins VP of Communications, who was trying to get McCoy off the field uh, in whatever way he could. No, 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 we gotta go, guys, we gotta go, Wiley said to ESPN, even as Sutcliffe was setting up for the interview. Wiley made sure everybody knew he was in charge, screaming later, no means no, before pulling McCoy off the field. Now, where is this guy when Brent Roethlisberger is on spring break, huh? And that's been Fake News with me. Time for another installment of I Thought It Was Funny. 
And again, as I said in the intro to the show, this is more funny, interesting than funny, haha. Although it's a little funny, haha, to me. Okay, so I was listening to Jimmy Pardo's podcast, Never Not Funny, and they're discussing uh, Pat Francis's podcast, Rock Solid, and uh, the, the topic comes up about uh, Van Halen, and then Matt, who used to produce um, uh, the Rock Solid program, uh, mentions, oh yeah, uh, Pat and uh, Mike Siegel, which is another uh, mutual buddy of theirs, uh, did a, we did a whole show on Van Halen, he explains, and, uh, and then Jimmy uh, has this to say about that. Because they took it, because they they both take that band very seriously. It was, I'm not even. That's not even an insult. Yeah, they it, take that band very seriously. It was a scientific exploration. Which, by the way, I do. I I, I was on P.F. Wilson's podcast, uh, and he did an episode called Favorite Band, and I talk about Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are having trouble sleeping, <laughs> me telling you about the band Chicago is on this particular. That's not P.F.'s fault. It is not P.F. fault. P.F. would ask me a question. About like uh, I forget what even the question was. Uh, what would you? Uh, are they? Oh, are they still the four remaining members? Uh, or no? How many members are still in the band? Uh, I then had to bring him through the entire history of the band <laughs> with no fun or humor in my voice at all. What a f- blowhard! Okay, so Jimmy's uh, self-effacing rant there is hilarious enough, but here's the part I, I thought was was the funniest. Which, by the way, I do. I I, I was on P.F. Wilson's podcast, uh, and he did an episode called Favorite Band, and I talk about Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now Jimmy says this like people are supposed to know who I am, <laughs> like they're supposed to know what what that is. So that's the part I thought was funny. Now, the funny, interesting part of that, and not the funny ha-ha part, is that uh, actually Jimmy got it wrong there because the whole idea of the Your Favorite Band episodes that we do, and we've done three of them, uh, Depeche Mode, The Alarm, and, of course, Chicago with Jimmy, is that the guest is supposed to come on and geek out about the band. That's the whole idea. That's that's the whole uh, the whole premise. And then, you know, for us to find out, you know, all kinds of minutiae about the band. I want to know why people are so invested in a particular band. So, um... And ironically, it was inspired by that episode of Rock Solid that they're talking about, where uh, this is what the time when Rock Solid was hosted by by not only Pat, but by Gary Lucy. They were uh, co-hosting it. And this is before they had the rotating co-host with Pat. But anyway, uh, but Mike Siegel came on as a special guest, and him and Pat talked about uh, Van Halen for over an hour. And Gary, who was not really a fan of Van Halen, as I am not either, uh, was interested like I would be for about almost an hour and then he was like oh my god make this stop so i mean i'll listen to a a biography or anybody talk about any band to a point um like i've often said i love those vh1 behind the musics never like sticks beyond mr roboto which probably is heresy to some sticks fans saying oh that's the worst song but um i never cared for sticks it's my favorite behind the music it's fascinating and hilarious too how much these guys uh ended up hating each other but anyway so that's just my point there uh, I had that kind of synergy of how that all came together. That episode of Rock Saw that inspired your favorite band comes back, and uh, Jimmy mentions me on his podcast as if I'm somebody that people should know. And uh, oh, and by the way, if you are listening to us because you have been listening to uh, Rock Solid or uh, Never Not Funny, well, thank you so much. And uh, if you've made it through this dumb bit, I thank you again. I know most people are probably just interested in the interview, which we'll be getting to uh, shortly. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, a buddy of mine from high school. Actually, I was better friends with his twin brother. Uh, his name is Mike Felice. Uh, he's up there in Cleveland. I worked with his brother John, my first uh, job in high school uh, at a drugstore in uh, suburban Cleveland. And uh, John and I worked for a summer together there at the Discount Drug Mart. They, they save you the runaround, kids. Anyway, but uh, Mike messaged me and said, hey, I'm going to be meeting Glenn, uh, Glenn Tilbrook from Squeeze. I know you like the new wave music. You want me to get an autographed baseball? Mike's a big baseball fan. 
fan, as am I. And I'm, I don't know if Glenn Tilburg necessarily likes American baseball. I know he's a, a kind of a big American file, but uh, still drinks his beer warm, though. But I'm like, sure, Glenn Tilbrook, probably one of my favorite voices ever, uh, singing-wise. Uh, and I interviewed Chris Difford, his buddy in Squeeze, a couple of years ago for City Pages, and that was a big thrill. But um, I said, yeah, sure. So it arrived Federal Express yesterday, and uh, I, there may be a Nick Lowe-signed baseball coming in my future, too. So again, thanks to Mike Felice for the autographed baseball from Glenn Tilbrook. And uh, let's play a little bit of Squeeze uh, heading on into the interview. Why not? Hey folks, remember this? Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. Merry-go-round. Unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at HomeShirts.com. Jen Kirkman is a stand-up comedian and writer originally from Boston. You know her from Chelsea lately and her several appearances on all the late-night chat shows. A little note here about the interview, two things. It starts off the first couple of seconds where it's kind of blaring, but then I get the audio adjusted because I made a little mistake adjusting the mixer. And then at the very end of the interview, my computer crashed and the interview just stops. But I was just about to thank her for being on the show and, and wrapping things up anyway, so we were fine. So it'll end abruptly, and I'll come in at that point, and uh, we'll go from there. But right now, here's our interview with Jen Kirkman. Okay, joining us on PS Tape Recorder today, it's Jen Kirkman. Jen, how you doing? I'm wonderful, thanks for asking. What's going on? Uh, not so much. You know, I feel like I know you a little bit because uh, via a friend's podcast, um, you, you've been on Jimmy Pardo's podcast a couple of times, I think. Oh, right? yeah, I got to go back. No, we're not funny. Yes. Love him. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, you've been on, uh, I think, a couple of times there, and uh, so I feel like I know you. I don't really know much about you. This is awful news. This is terrible. Yeah. Um, this is how sad for you. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I, I know you're. I know you're from uh, Massachusetts. I know you've worked on Chelsea lately and things like that. But uh, I, you know, I don't know the uh, sort of. Uh, I, I mean, those are the least, the least exciting things about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's let, let's do the 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 Marin versus then. Uh, so, where are you from? <laughs> well, I am actually from Massachusetts, a town called Needham. Okay. Which is like ten minutes, fifteen minutes outside the city, the suburb. Okay. Nothing really exciting there. Okay. Don't have the accent. I used to, but I went, um, and I didn't think I did. Like, I thought I didn't have it ever, but I, I had it until I was, like, 20. Um, there was this cl- I went to Emerson College in Boston, and okay. um, there was a class you could take called Voice and Articulation. They taught you how to speak like a generic white person in <laughs> case you got into broadcasting. And so I lost it from that, I think. But, um, yeah, it, I can do one, and I so desperately want an Affleck or Matt Damon to ask me to be in a movie. I'm so good with the with the Boston accent. Oh yeah, yeah. My uh, my dad see. told me that um, uh, we're from Cleveland originally, our family, and he told me he told me when I was a kid that they would send broadcasting students to Cleveland or have them listen to people from Cleveland to learn how to talk without an accent. I always thought that was really that because I I thought well somewhere people think we have an accent, but <laughs> I don't yeah, know. are you guys like the most you know? Like well, nondescript speakers in, maybe. in America. I, I think it's weird though because in Cleveland, it's definitely more of a people from the west side of Cleveland talk like they're from Chicago, and people from the east side, where I'm from, I really don't think we have an accent. Like in other words, people, someone tells me they're from Cleveland and they start talking, I can say, "Oh yes, you're from the west side," and they don't have an accent. I say that you're yeah. probably from the east side. It's very strange. You, you actually don't have any kind of accent to my ears. Yeah, you have that kind of broadcaster sound. I actually, I was just in Sweden. And this woman was just kind of staring at me when I was talking. And she's like, oh, sorry, I just love your accent. And I was like, I know I sound different to her, but how does she like the sound of an American accent? Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so nothing, unless you're, yeah. you know. It's boring. The only American accent that's exciting and sexy is like that kind of like New Orleans, like yeah. Southern Creole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, or, or Or women and some men who have a, just a, a regular Southern accent. That can be appealing, I think, to people uh, overseas. It's like, oh, it, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think it's very sweet. I, I listen to a lot of uh, BBC Radio 1, and of course, so I love an English accent. I think we have the most boring accent in the English language. That's what I think, but I think some people would think that was like racist of us in a weird way because like, we're saying it's normal, but I well, don't. I think it's boring. No, they know it too because um, one of the disc jockeys, Scott Mills, was talking about how he was in Miami and he goes, everybody loves our accents, and so they know. They know. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> Shoot. So, pardon me. Ignore that. Everything's fine. All right. <laughs> I'm just packing for a trip, and I dropped, oh, like, okay. an entire box of everything. Okay, so back to Massachusetts. Are you a funny gal growing up, or are you interested in comedy, or are your friends just say, hey, you're really funny. You should be on a stage somewhere. Um, no. Well, I think those people are rarely funny. I mean, my friends and I were funny together, but it, it was, you know, uh, it could have gone. I mean, none of them were interested in comedy. The way, I mean, I was interested in comedy, but I thought, like, I wasn't thinking about my future, and, and and thinking, well, this means something. I, it was like my friends and I liked, you know, um, we were very much like the boys, but we were girls, um, on Freaks and Geeks, like the, the geeky boys that watched. Oh, yeah. You know, like like funny shows and tried to do funny things with each other. So I didn't, like, translate that into, like, here's my business plan, but I just thought I love doing this, and eventually I never stopped loving it. And then my friends, that you know, they eventually grew out of it and had lives and that was (laughs) that was not what their calling ended up being 
but uh, no, I mean, I always wanted to be an actress or in show business in some way. I mean, I knew that since I was okay. the fir- first thing I can remember. Yeah, but I didn't know it was comedy. And then, you know, I think comedy ends up being kind of a last resort sometimes. But, um, you know, I, I just don't think stand-up seemed like one of those things that you knew could be a job. Like, I thought, oh, I love funny stuff, but I wanted to be an actress, and I wanted to be a singer, and then I wanted to be a showgirl, and I wanted to be, the, you know, I had every other ambition, and then it didn't dawn on me until I was in college that, that oh, I think people are doing this for a job. It wasn't just something I saw on The Tonight Show when I was a kid. Uh, so when you went to Emerson... But I wasn't... Okay, but so when you went to Emerson, did you uh, study... I, I, I wasn't funny at... Um, I wanted to be a serious actor and be taken very seriously. And, and my uh-huh. friend was auditioning for a comedy troupe, and he was like, you should come with me. And I said, I'll come with you for moral support, but I'm not, I have no interest. You know, I'm not, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and so, um, I, of course, like, I feel like this is a made-up story, but I auditioned and got it, and he didn't. Wow. So, um, yeah, I guess I ended up being funny, but I never planned on it. So I don't wh- know. I, it's all answers. Like, in, like, I feel like, yeah. So what was the okay, comedy troupe you tried out for? What was the what? The comedy troupe. Comedy troupe? Yeah. Um, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was at Emerson. It was called um, Burnt Toast, and they only did sketches that were parodies of Edgar Allan Poe poems. Oh, okay. You, <laughs> I, I spoke to... If you think my parents wasted their money, <laughs> you're right. I... Um, <laughs> but then later in college, I got into a better comedy troupe that did a lot of improvising that was based on the methods of long-form improv that, like, the UCB Theater does and stuff like that. So that's okay. kind of where I really, you know, became interested in comedy. But that <laughs> that burnt toast group, I don't know what that was. I was wondering, because I spoke to a, I can't remember who it was now, I spoke to a gal that was from Syracuse that went to school. and well, She didn't go to school in Boston. She followed a boy to Boston who was a drummer, and then she started getting into stand-up there, but started in an improv troupe. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, I can't remember who it Sorry, was. She I was just laughed. I relate. Yeah, yeah. So many moves have been following a boy. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I followed a boy to L.A. I know. Anyway, did, go on. <laughs> you do, did you follow a boy to L.A. like before you were interested in, in comedy seriously, or did you just, or was it both, or how did how did that happen? No, no, I, I was, um, I'd been doing comedy five years, five and a half years at that point for, in Boston and New York City, and I actually always wanted to live in L.A., but it was one of those daunting things of how do I move to the other side of the country when I don't know a soul there. And then it just so happened that a really good friend of mine who I happened to have a secret crush on moved to L.A. And I was like, well, I'll come visit. And then I just kind of huh. never left. Oh, I mean, and it's go. not a happy ending. Like, we're not together or anything now. But it was just, uh, that was, you know, 12 years ago. But it was definitely like, I think if, like, a girl that I know had moved to L.A., I might not have just, like, run out. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, and uh, Jessamay Peluso was the gal I'm thinking of. I don't know if you. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I met her a couple of times. She's really funny, and really sweet. Yeah, yeah. She was the so she was a little Boston connection. So speaking of Boston, it's a pretty good comedy scene uh, to come out of. Yeah, I mean, when I was there, there wasn't much of anything. Um, I feel like the people I hung out with in Boston kind of helped revive it in some small ways. You know, because I started comedy in Boston in the late nine mid nineties after the famous comedy boom was over. So oh, okay. there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of places to perform. There was the big club called the Comedy Connection, which is no longer there. But that was like the big, big, you know, if you were a famous headliner, you would come through. So I would go there and see people like Norm MacDonald and, you know, like big stars. And then the local guys 
were also stars in Boston, and they played the club every weekend as well. So there was no room for new talent. They didn't have an open mic night. It wasn't... Um, no one was mean or anything. It just wasn't a nurturing environment. You went to see comedy, and then you went home, and you thought, how the hell do I get to do this? Mm. And so then um, this guy, Eugene Merman, who now lives in New York, oh, yeah. he kind of started Yeah, he started me on my way in comedy. He, he was hosting an open mic, and then he started uh, this guy, Rick Jenkins, let us kind of run the roost at this place called the Comedy Studio, which is a really cool performance space above a Chinese restaurant. And... Um, so we started doing stand-up shows every Friday and Saturday, and it's right in the heart of Harvard Square, so you got a lot of you know, young people and tourists and college kids, and so we did that every weekend, but it wasn't, that was all I did was perform there. There weren't a lot of other places um, to go, so, or that seemed friendly for a new comic. So when I, I kind of, that's why I left, because I felt like, gee, I only have this one place, and I really want to see what else is out there. But now it's, it's way booming. It's a, it's a huge scene. So you were doing. So, um, you started doing improv as far as comedy goes. At what point do you make the leap to stand up, or do you start trying stand up? Was it shortly after, or did it take a while to to work toward that? Yeah, for me, it was like within one second. I was taking um, I was taking this improv class, at, you know, right after college, and I was in an improv group, and I just didn't like it because I don't know. I, I I don't work well with others, but not because I'm. <laughs> selfish but because it, it's just too stressful for me i'd rather live and die on, on my own on stage you know if i get the laughs that's great but if i if i screw up i'd rather take the fall than in improv you can really kind of screw it up for someone else so right right like that, yeah that aspect of it yeah and um actually what really inspired me to, to really go for stand-up because i wasn't sure was i was taking this master improv class with this guy named keith johnstone who's he's kind of like britain's Del Close, he's like a huge improv guru, and I was taking a master class with him, and, and um, he came up to me during the lunch break, and he said, you know, you, you should read this book um, that Joan Rivers wrote called Enter Talking, because I guess she was in Second City, and she was kind of going for laughs instead of playing with the group, uh. and, uh, you know, that she not, not she got kicked out, but she got, you know, she was an ass back, and so he said, you should read her book, I think you're more of a stand-up than a... Impro- improviser so it hurts to admit that he was he was kind of right huh. in that way because i want to be good at everything but i think it's so about you know like once i found out about that open mic and i did that for the first time i quit the improv group i was like oh uh, yeah, i like this better but so it only took like six months do, do, do you enjoy improv or was it just kind of a, a kind of a, a stepping stone of sorts to to get to what you really wanted to do no, because i never again i never thought like i'm doing a stepping stone or i'm planning i just do what i love like while I'm doing it without thinking, like, what comes next or what does this lead to. It was the only way that I could do comedy was to do improv. And so, you know, some of the shows that I was in this group called Improv Boston, and a lot of it was, like, a lot of games, improv kind of games. So it was, like, it was like making jokes. It was very close to stand-up. You would have your little moments of being oh, okay. out there on the stage alone and stuff like that. So I did like doing it, but I kind of had to pick one just because both – happened on Friday and Saturday nights and you know I dabbled in improv again when I got to LA I, I took classes at UCB and I got on an improv team but it just keeps going back to if I'm going to spend any time doing something I think it should just be stand up I heard a great quote uh, Mike Myers was on Marin's podcast a couple of weeks ago and he told the story where, oh I heard uh, that it was great yeah D- Dave Fo- him and Dave Foley going out to watch improv and Foley says I think all improv is in need of a good rewrite and I love that <laughs> 
Oh, that's really funny. That's right. I remember he said that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, there can be such good stuff, but I don't love it enough to to hate to stick through what I hate about it. Yeah. You know, well, there's yeah. so much hate about stand up, but I love it so much. I don't, you know, I don't care. Well, I just think for someone like me as a writer, I just need that structure. And I, you know, I'm so it's such a challenge for me to write funny stuff anyway. I used to write for a, uh, a radio show here in Cincinnati, a comedy show. And just, you know, to go over and over again and get to get a perfect, you know, it took that much effort just to get it to be that funny. I can't imagine. Maybe I'm just jealous of people that can go and improv and, you know, be funny like that, you know. It's just there's a skill set I do not I don't have. I think it's it's a, <laughs> I think it's one of those heightened things where like um, you're watching improv, even though some of it can be really really funny, and especially the, the guys at UCB that do the Ass Cat show. I mean, they're amazing, but there is that heightened thing of everyone knows it's being made up, so there's a lot of wonderment, like oh my god, I can't believe I just connected with that, and people are a lot more excited because it's just happening in front of their face than if they read a script with a really good structure that is just as good, and you're like, no, no, you don't understand. It took me days to put that, and then that guy comes in. People wouldn't sit there reading it and be like, that's amazing, you know, because yeah. no one really gets it. But I know what you mean. It's that, it's that thing of like, <laughs> yeah, maybe we are a little jealous. <laughs> so how did the, uh, the the comedy writing just grow out of the stand-up then once you were out in California? Um, you know, it was just kind of a survival thing. Um, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd have been, you know, Louis C.K. within my first year of comedy, you know, not that I am now, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. My plan was always just to become a famous comedian uh, in three days. And so huh. then as you, you know, as year 15 goes by and you're doing it and you're like, wait, 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 uh, you just kind of do whatever you can do for, for money, you know. And um, so I never thought of myself well, okay, I would say as a kid, I always wanted to be a writer as well. I wanted to write books and stuff. But then you start doing stand-up, and, like, you're just, I was just kind of growing up. Like, I was still a young adult figuring out anything about life. So once I started doing stand-up, I think I naively thought, well, now I just do stand-up. I don't write. You know, like, you keep, I kept boxing myself into things, and I'm a good writer, so I don't know why I did that. But, um, so I wrote for myself short stories or whatnot, and then... Once I got to L.A., like, you can't, unless you go on the road, and I wasn't ready for that, and had no audience, um, you can't make a living unless you want to get a writing job, or, you know, I was, you know, temping and waitressing for years, but in uh, in my spare time, you know, writing um, sitcom scripts and, like, trying to get jobs on writing, sh- you know, yeah. trying to get writing jobs on TV shows, I should say. So that was always going on in the background, but not because I love it so much, but just like this would be a good way to get my foot in the door of any, just getting paid for anything. So I don't, you know, lose hope and leave. But um, yeah, and then, you know, I got the job writing at Chelsea, but that was not, it was not something I, uh, no writing job has ever been anything I passionately um, pursued. It just sort of like, oh, that one landed. Okay, cool. Now let's go get a paycheck, that kind of thing. Because I used to write for Disney and stuff like that, too. Oh, really? What did you do for Disney? Um, I wrote a couple episodes of the cartoon Phineas and Ferb. No way. My daughter's obsessed. Yeah, I mean, I would say wrote... I, the, the the creators of the show are geniuses, and they, they know it so well. So it's they a funny show, yeah. Oh, yeah. Punch it up after you write the, the draft. So I, you know, I say I... Uh, 
alley-ooped it to them, and then they did it. But, yeah, the, 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 this woman that worked at Disney was a big fan of my stand-up. She would come to shows, and she said, I like the way your mind works, and I think that um, even though what you're talking about would not be appropriate for episodes of any of our shows, I want you to meet with some of the people that, you know, have shows here. And so it's, like, weird stuff like that that happens where you're like, yeah. I wouldn't have tried to write for a Disney cartoon, and I never thought someone coming to see my stand-up would be like, this is a great fit, but she saw something in the detailed way that I told stories, and then I met with those guys, and they let me sit in on some punch-up sessions, and then they let me write a couple, and, you know, so that was like, but that's not anything that leads to anything. That's just like a paycheck that keeps me from going under that money, (laughs) that kind of thing. But that is so cool. uh, Wow. Yeah, when I look back on it, it's cool. I forget that I did it. And a lot of times parents will tweet at me, I just saw your name on the credits. I guess they're still, you know, rerunning them. Well, my daughter's been on a big Phineas and Ferb kick. She was over the summer because uh, we, we don't have cable. So when she goes and visits my in-laws, she just soaks up the cable. And uh, Phineas and Ferb is one of the things she watched a lot of this summer. Now they're on Netflix. So I'm going to have to go through the IMBD and find the episodes you were uh, you wrote and then watch I know. Them I can't even remember. I was in the writer's room for a lot of them, but I, I don't remember. The one I think I came up with was they had a... They had a, uh, an aquarium in their backyard or something. Okay. That's all I remember. Oh, cool. I'll totally check that. My daughter will be so impressed. Yeah. I talked to someone who wrote for Phineas and Ferb. This is, <laughs> you, you have no idea. Um, so I was going to say, back on the Chelsea thing, I guess it seems a lot of you uh, folks now are, are having a chance to, to tour more. Because it seems I've interviewed a ton of uh, people from the panel just in the past couple of months. Yeah. Now that things have wrapped. Is that really the yeah. case? or am I just Okay. And is, is Yeah, that, I mean, the, the more regular you're on it like i've been on it you know five, you know most, all of the writers on the show were stand-ups as well so we've been on the panel a lot longer than most people so we had kind of a, a head start with getting a fan base but um yeah i think for a lot of the main like 10 people that are on the most it's gotten us a a, a big fan base of people coming out to to our shows and uh and then now that the show is over and i'm not actually sitting there writing, I physically have more time to tour. So so it's good. And I feel like I toured, you know, the last two years while doing the show. And um, I feel like I made enough, you know, people came out to see me. And I think I hopefully they liked it enough that they'll keep coming back, even though the show's not on the air. I hope they won't forget about me. But, yeah, yeah it, it really was, um, really was helpful for a lot of us. Uh, I, yeah, because I know you, you've toured before a little bit. I've, I've tried interviewing you before for City Pages, actually knowing you more from Never Not Funny than from Chelsea Lately. Again, not having cable. But uh, someone always beat me to it, so I'm, I'm uh, glad we finally got this, uh, this, oh, cool. this knocked out. Yeah, yeah, because I've always enjoyed your... Uh, they always have you know managed to find... I guess it's, it's people they mostly know or people that they've become friendly with that they get on that show, on, uh, on Jimmy's show, and uh, it always works out so well. Well, Matt, course. his uh, producer, is the, um, you know, founder, I guess is the word, of, of this record label called yeah. the Special Thing Records, and I, yep. was, I was their first oh. uh, CD, so that's how I know. Oh, okay. Uh, that's how I know Matt, and then, I guess, yeah, Jimmy, I've just known from, from around forever, but yeah. Yeah. I actually don't know. I only, I think I've tweeted to Matt once and he tweeted back to me. I know Jimmy from interviewing him so much and then all the people and Pat Francis's friend, we've become internet friendly now because we both have podcasts and we've been on each other's podcasts and stuff. So it's, um, yeah, it's weird how that all kind of uh, works out. Uh, it, it also seems weird too that, I don't know if, it, if it's that way out there, but it just seems that there's these certain arms of the comedy galaxy 
uh, out in Los Angeles. And there's like this whole, like when I write for other papers, like maybe in Salt Lake City or Denver, I discover this whole other group of comedians that I'm not really familiar with that have nothing to do with the people yeah. like your Marins, your Jimmy Pardos and Paul Gilmartin and all those people. Is it, is it that way out there? Are these certain, there's these certain tribes or do you kind of know most people to say hello to? I mean, I think we know most people to say hello to, but yeah, there's different tribes, and I don't think anyone's trying to stick in them or oh no, or just... uh, or anything like that. But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, like for example, I lived here for um, how long? Eight, se- seven years, and I'd never met Chelsea or heard of her in my life. You know, and uh, when I started working on her show, I mean, her show wasn't a huge, huge hit yet, and I so, but it's like we didn't run in the same circles. Um, all, a lot of my friends now, I've met, like, a bunch of people I, that I'm really close with now. We never were kind of running in the same place. And then once you start, like, L.A. is, you know, once you start kind of going on the road and stuff or you, or you just get older, you kind of drop in to do a show and you're like, can I get up and go home? Like, it's either like, I have a kid or I have to get up early. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just need five minutes. So there's no, like, hanging out anymore, at least, you know, at my age, so I don't even know what I feel kind of out of it. Just in terms of like age too, there's like different groups just based on you know there's younger kids coming up and stuff like that. But yeah, there's so many different legs of comedy out here. Yeah, it seems like in New York that's it's more clustered because everyone's going to do you know like four. And that's where my computer completely froze up. I was going to ask her uh, one last question, then and thank her for being on the show and everything. And she called back and goes, oh, should we finish this up? And I knew she had to be somewhere. As you heard, she was packing up to go somewhere. I didn't want to keep running longer than I had to. Um, so I just, you know, thank her for being on the show and everything. So uh, let's go to the uh, segment outro music. Uh, by the way, this is a song called Pack of Lies that I wrote with the very talented John Veropolis. <laughs> at this point I normally say thanks again to Jen Kirkman for being on the show you can catch Jen Thursday November 6th through Saturday November 8th at Hilarities in Cleveland Ohio that's a great place to see some comedy folks for those of you in Northeast Ohio and then she uh, in, in December excuse me uh, December, the Thursday December 11th through what Saturday December 13th she's at the Helium Comedy Club in Buffalo New York well you heard us talk about it over the summer Buffalo is really a nice area the Buffalo whole western New York area Pete Corrielli lives out there by the way he's a little bit uh, west southwest of Buffalo Terrific place to visit. A lot of history. Um, it even kind of has. Uh, it's one of the things that it's been a liability. I think is now becoming a plus. It's kind of got that, and a lot of the industry is left, of course. And that kind of has become a feel of its own. It's kind of got that kind of dystopian feel in places where it actually is kind of like cool if you're a photographer or an artist and want to kind of check out something like that. But it's also vibrant in other places. And uh, again, great place to visit. Not sure a lot of people want to live there because everyone you tell that to there is like, oh, yeah, thanks. So anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, visit Buffalo, visit Cleveland, believe me. They actually are two great towns, uh, very American if you're visiting from overseas. That's really the heart of America, folks. The heartland is what it is. All right, so we got Jen Kirkman's dates out of the way. Oh, for all things Jen Kirkman, uh, go to jenkirkman.com. That'll explain everything there. Let me see what else we have to take care of here. Uh, again, thanks to Mike Felice for sending me my autographed baseball from Glenn Tilbrook of Squeeze. Uh, let me see. Music composed and performed by Doug Veropolis and Jug O'Connor. Music composed and performed by Doug O'Connor and John Veropolis with a little help from me. Uh, PFT Recorder logo, of course, designed by... PFT Recorder logo, of course, designed by Dan Coble. Let me see. What else do we have uh, on the books here? I guess that's it. Uh, just tell your friends about us. If you're listening to this any other way than through iTunes, understand that you can subscribe to PFT Recorder in iTunes. I believe, uh, well, certainly in the United States, I believe uh, other, other places around the world. I'm not sure I have to check on that. Um... 
iTunes is different in different countries, of course. But uh, again, tell your friends about us. Uh, go back and cherry pick through the archives. We got those your favorite bands back there. Um, I've got to come up with some kind of an episode guide for people. Maybe I'll do that in Google Docs or do it on my blog, and then you can just kind of pick through and see. I got 172 now to have to go back and catalog, but maybe I'll do that, so stay tuned. Uh, but other than that, so long and thanks for listening. Bye.